You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. Welcome to today's episode of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. We have two guests today. Our first guest is calling in, and his name is Derek Lido. He is an entrepreneur and author of Startup Leadership, and we're going to be talking to him in just a minute. This show is brought to you by our advertisers, Center Club, Community Bank, Decision Toolbox, Executives Unlimited, MBN Design, S&H Rubber, Strategic Market Intelligence, Sun Up Group, and Company, Tone Software, Turn Up the Volume, and UPS Protection. The goal for this show is to help you, our listening audience of CEOs who are running middle market firms, to improve your decision-making skills. To connect with me on LinkedIn, you'll find me by typing in Richard Rick Franzi, F-R-A-N-Z-I. CEO Peer Groups is my Twitter handle. And on your favorite podcasting software, type in these four words, Critical Mass Radio Show. You'll get automatic updates of our weekly shows. This week we're doing three shows in this week, so you'll get all of that great new content simply by subscribing. It gives me great pleasure to welcome on the show Derek Lido. As I said, he is entrepreneur and an author of the book Startup Leadership. Derek, welcome to the program. Hey, it's great to be with you. Let's start by dealing with your book first. The title is Startup Leadership. So can you help me to understand the content of the book and sort of what is your motivation, what was your motivation for taking the time and making the commitment to write the book? Well, going in reverse order, I, I teach here at Princeton University now after I sold my company, iSupply, and I was teaching a class on leadership using uh, startups or, or how to build ideas into tangible real-life entities as, uh, as a metaphor for the leadership, and it was hard to find material, and so ultimately... I had to put a book together to help the students assimilate all the different uh, dimensions of, of how you go and what you need to do to lead people to build your ideas into tangible form, whether they be new companies or new divisions or the like. So it, it, it was a need that was unmet, and so that's why I wrote the book. How long, and, uh, how long did it take you to write the book, Derek? Well, I've been teaching the class for three years, and it took me a, another year to write the book. So mm-hmm. it's uh, four years of work, let's say. What are the major takeaways from your book, Startup Leadership? The first one is that most people think that the idea is the important part of creating innovation, uh, where actually the, the, you know, the research in the real world shows that it's not the idea. It's a person. It's a person who other people feel is going to make them uh, successful. And uh, the ideas can be exciting or they can be mundane. It's the person that uh, t- turns them into something that transforms a marketplace or, or uh, you know, people's lives. So, that, so that's the first major takeaway. The se- second is that this this person that people like to follow, it turns out that they all share a set of skills. And it's just a handful of skills. And the good news is that skills are, are teachable. And so these are skills that uh, any person can uh, practice and adopt. And CEOs of companies can teach people people in their organizations to have these skills, and so their innovation can happen in more places, making CEOs and their companies more successful. So it's a good thing to know. We're talking with Derek Lido. He is entrepreneur, professor, and author of the book Startup Leadership. So could you take us through, or at least give us a brief overview of the skills that your research has found are important to these leaders? Uh, ultimately, these are skills that are required to take an idea and put tangible form in, uh, around them, and usually in the form of a company or a business or a product line. And uh, people that are able to do that very successfully share five skills. The five skills are the following. One is the skill of self-awareness, understanding yourself to the point where 
you know uh, what, what help you need and uh, how to uh, what traits and skills create your um, strengths and your weaknesses. So self-awareness. The second skill is relationship building. That's the ability to create a new relationship or take your existing relationships and making them stronger, ideally so that people are uh, tied to your objectives and, and want to help you succeed. The third is uh, motivating others. So the relationship building is something you practice one-on-one, but when you have an organization, uh, particularly when it has more than a handful of people, you need to motivate larger groups of people all at once, again, to align what they want and, and are excited about doing is what you need to get done to see the idea or the product take shape. The next skill, the fourth one, is leading change because as ideas morph and uh, mature into tangible form, change is is constant, and uh, these people have to know how to uh, make the people around them feel comfortable with change, and change is going to be successful for everybody. And then the fifth skill is just understanding how ideas actually do mature into uh, uh, organizations and products and processes and the like, and how that takes form because the leaders can't be surprised by significant changes that take shape as the idea matures. And what works one week may not work the next week because some important stage has been passed and therefore the organization needs a different type of leadership. So we're talking with Derek Lido. He is entrepreneur, professor, and also the author of Startup Leadership. We're dealing with the five skills that he's uncovered that uh, leaders need. I, I guess my question is, as you've talked about these five, I understand how these are important for in, in a startup space, but my question is also, these seem very applicable for, say, the audience that listens to Critical Mass Radio Show, which are tend to be CEOs leading you know, two to $100 million companies as well. Yep, uh, exactly. Uh, there's v- virtually no difference. The, the only difference might be that because uh, your uh, listeners are uh, uh, CEOs of established companies, that some knowledge of how <laughs> you go about prototyping an idea and getting feedback on it, which is part of uh, the enterprise basic skill, is really not so relevant. But the later skills on how uh, businesses uh, need to balance projects and processes and uh, other aspects of how uh, they grow and and operate effectively are are very directly pertinent to to mid-sized companies like your you know like your listeners so uh in the fourth quarter of 2014 i had the pleasure of hearing you speak at a local university here in southern california you came on and gave a talk largely on the book and took a a great deal of questions and answers and i was eminently impressed not only with your knowledge of the subject matter of your book but your ability to address questions from the audience and tie in other content and intellectual property that kind of relates to the subject matter. So when I saw you and met you back earlier, or I guess towards the end of last year, Derek, not only did I like the content of your book and what your research had suggested, but also the way that you presented it in a larger context. So I guess maybe that's a skill that you need to have as a professor as well, to be able to interrelate ideas to help people to understand how they all fit together. And, and tell a good story. And tell a good story. It's, it's the key. Be a good storyteller. All right. Well, we're going to exactly. take. Yeah, we're going to take our. And you did that well too. So if you're listening uh, here on the radio show, either live on octalkradio.net or maybe as a podcast on iTunes or from one of the other podcasting services that we use, if you're looking for a keynote speaker, I assume Derek, that's something that you're able to do as well as uh, as the other things that you're doing now in your career. I I, I love to help. And, I I mean, ultimately, I want to help people be successful. All right. We're going to take our first commercial break here on Critical Mass Radio Show. And when we come back, I'm going to ask Derek if he can share a little bit about 
the roadmaps for innovators seeking to become successful leaders in their own space. So we're going to talk about some best practices in this area, and we're going to do that when we get back from these commercial breaks. If you are an Orange County CEO or a business owner, this message is for you. Do you ever feel isolated with no place to turn for advice or feedback? Who holds you accountable to your commitments in your company? Where do you find the right resources to help you and your company grow? If you have had these questions, then Critical Mass for Business might be the answer for you. Critical Mass for Business is committed to helping you make better decisions through the power of peer learning. These are groups of peers who are running businesses just like you. CEO Peer Groups provides a great sounding board to test fresh ideas and new concepts, review your strategic plans and tactical goals, and present issues and opportunities for a critical discussion. The result is improved strategy, accountability, and improved business results. If you are interested in learning more, go to www.criticalmassforbusiness.com and learn about our CEO Peer Groups. CEO Peer Groups is a registered trademark of Critical Mass for Business. I'd like to share with you my experience as a member of Center Club. Many of you know that I have been a member of Center Club in Costa Mesa, California for over five years. I hold my monthly CEO peer group meetings, my annual executive conference, and my daily business meetings at the club. I found the staff to be professional and courteous. My guests enjoy meeting at Center Club with its newly remodeled meeting rooms, dining rooms, and common areas. If you're looking for a place to conduct meetings, host events, or meet some of Orange County's most successful and interesting business people, then consider joining Center Club in Costa Mesa. For information regarding membership, private events, please visit the club at their website, wwwcenter club. Dot com. That's www.center-club.com. Are you looking for your successor? Someone as dedicated and experienced in their field as you? Executives Unlimited delivers the top executive talent you need for your company's long-term success. 98% of our clients re-engage us for additional hires, and over 90% of the executives placed by us since 2007 are still in their positions or have been promoted. That's twice the industry's average retention rate. How do we do this? Dedication. Executives Unlimited believe success isn't success until it's long-term. Call us to invest in your long-term success. 562-627-3800 or visit us at executivesunlimited.com. Let our long-term success leverage yours. And welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. Derek Lido is our guest. On Wednesday, February 11th, I will be hosting the 1,000th radio show interview with special guest Wing Lamb of Wahoo's Fish Taco. This event will be held at Center Club in Costa Mesa, and you, as members of our audience, are invited to attend. The event starts at 4.30 p.m. with registration and networking, and the radio show will start around 5.30 p.m. To learn more and to register, visit my website, criticalmass4forbusiness.com, and click on the big red banner right there in the middle of the homepage. It says, Register Here. That'll take you to our Eventbrite site where you can register. You'll have an opportunity to hear Wing discuss the lessons he and his executive team at Wahoo's Fish Taco learned about business from the Great uh, Great Recession, sorry, and have a chance to connect with and network with Orange County business owners and executives. I want to thank our gold sponsor, TriCircle Financial Strategies, for their outstanding support. Visit their website at tricirclefinancial.com. Don't miss this milestone in Orange County broadcast history and join us for the celebration on Wednesday, February the 11th for our 1,000th interview show with special guest Wing Lamb of Wahoo's Fish Taco. You know, Derek, one of the things that you mentioned is before you went off on this latest career path, you built a, a company and sold it. The company was iSupply. Before I ask you more about kind of what people can learn about, uh, you know, what, what your research has suggested, tell me a little bit more about that journey of building iSupply into a recognized brand and a successful firm. Okay. Well, it started uh, out because I was the CEO of a company 
called International Rectifier, a New York Stock Exchange-listed company, a, uh, a venerable company in Southern California in the semiconductor industry. And as a CEO, I kept asking questions of the people that worked around me, basic questions that I thought we should have the answers for, things like, what's the inventory? Is it building in, in our customers' warehouses? Or how much capacity does, do our competitors have online? And these were very pertinent questions if you were being asked to fund a $200 million new wafer fab expansion. And nobody had the answers. And, and ultimately, I decided to put my money where my mouth was. And I, I you know, retired as CEO of, uh, of IR, and I started a company, iSupply, dedicated to helping uh, get more visibility on what was happening in the supply chains in the high-tech world. And turned out to be more challenging than, uh, than I ever would have thought, uh, compounded by the dot-com bubble bursting and 9-11 and Lehman Brothers. But it turns out that uh, many of my fellow CEOs were asking the same questions, and ultimately the company became a major uh, dominant supplier of information on what was happening with the supply chains in the high-tech world. And uh, it was it was something that was built from scratch, just from an idea, but ultimately it was getting uh, a lot of people to help me uh, that uh, made the company successful. Is that, was iSupply your first entrepreneurial venture? I mean, had you been a corporate animal prior to that? I basically had been a corporate animal uh, prior to that. That said, my career path involved quite a few big projects, big product launches and the like. And so I had a lot of experience leading corporate change. And leading corporate change was a great experience builder for uh, starting a company. They're very similar. Oh, okay. So that's what I was going to ask you then. I'm speaking with Derek Lido. He is entrepreneur, professor, and author of Startup Leadership. You know, how much of the corporate knowledge that you built was transferable to this startup venture and being an entrepreneur? It sounds like a lot of it. A lot of it. And uh, particularly those projects that involved, hey, uh, let's create a, a new product line or, you know, let's expand into China projects that, that started from scratch. And you, you, you basically have, you know, nothing but a concept and maybe a business plan, but you got to convince a lot of people to join your team, and uh, joining your team when nothing's there is risky for them. They have to feel confident that you are going to be successful and you're going to make them successful. And then also another big thing is, and this is where... Uh, coming out of the corporate world is a little different way of looking at this skill set that that's, was important to realize. And that is that you cannot impose all of the corporate systems and processes on your new division. Why? Because the new division has to get optimized to support the customer and the new customers that that, that product is going to uh, attract and, and uh, ultimately you know, turn into a profitable business. And uh, established companies often put too many constraints on what can and can't be done in servicing the customer, and those constraints often lead to mediocre or, or you know, making products that aren't quite as good as as nimble, you know, competitors can make. So that 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 uh, desire to sort of uh, say, hey, you've got to use all our systems just as they are. Don't change a thing uh, leads to mediocrity. When you're starting a company, you start from scratch, and so you don't have those constraints. It's interesting point that you bring up, and Derek Lido is our guest because um, it, it, it sounds. A lot easier than my experience having worked for large companies would suggest that it is to create a division that is a new part of the business but doesn't get overburdened and taxed by the by the structure and the operating procedures of the parent company it's 
it's really insidious how they can creep into the operations just because mm-hmm. people want information. They're used to getting certain data, and before you know it, you know you, you have you have really bound the new enterprise in a way that isn't isn't in its best interests. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. All right. So let's. Did you as Obviously, you you must have practiced some pretty good skills in building iSupply to the level that you did. Um, looking back on your experience now, did you find that these five skills that you write about in your book, Startup Leadership, you were able to employ in your in your growth of iSupply? Very consciously. So, of course, I, I had 25 years of career before starting iSupply, and... The, the, the first couple of years out of uh, graduate school, so I got, you know, graduated with a PhD and, in, in applied physics, and I thought that, you know, that, that was a certificate that uh, everybody should listen to what I have to say. And, um, and I quickly found out that that's not the case. And, but I wanted to figure out why. I was looking around, and some of the smartest people that I knew were, were really struggling in getting their ideas across, even though they were great ideas. And then I found some, there were other people out there. You know, I, I wasn't bowled over by their ideas, and yet they were you know, having very significant success. They were the ones that were getting promoted or starting the new companies. So, so something was going on, and... I was always very interested and a great student of why some people were successful and others weren't. And and ultimately, you know, these little gems of insights that came from other people or readings or, or the like helped me avoid a hell of a lot of potential big mistakes. You know, and that is sort of the tale of the tape of entrepreneurs. Is It is an iterative process to find the business model that scales and works for you. And if you can avoid making the mistakes that are fatal, then you have a chance of building and growing a business. But sometimes some of the mistakes you make are, are fatal to the business model, and you just have to kind of either start again or find something else to do, don't you? Yep, exactly. But being forewarned is forearmed here, and, uh, and the good news is that they these are sort of basic skills. And, right. Uh, they take a little bit of pra- you know practice and preparation, and may, you know maybe you can find a good mentor to help you, you know, uh, practice them, and, and 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 then you can avoid so many mistakes, and so so many, much needless waste of of time and money and your chances of success go way up. So, Derek, if someone is dutifully interested now in startup leadership and looking to purchase it, how would they find it online? Where would they go to buy your book? Uh, They could go to any online bookseller, uh, Amazon, of course, barnesnoble.com, and startup leadership. Just type it in, and it'll come right up. I'm, I'm very excited that it's doing well, and so uh, it's in stock. And if people are interested in, in contacting you directly, maybe as a keynote or, or for some other reason, how would they do that, Derek? Well, uh, they can go to my website, DerekLito.com, they can, uh, and there's a, a prominent button on how to contact me. Uh, that's probably the most direct way. I ultimately have you know, been... Uh, yeah, wonderfully gifted and lucky in uh, what I've been able to accomplish. And my mission is to really help others be as successful as possible. So I'd love to be contacted. I, I'm, you know, very uh, glad to help. And I'm helping, you know, literally hundreds of um, entrepreneurs and, and people with businesses uh, to grow those businesses. And, and I you know, it's not part of a consulting firm or anything. I just truly want to help. Well, I appreciate you giving of your time here today on Critical Mass Radio Show and, and sharing a bit about the takeaways and the content of your book and your experience as a, both a successful corporate executive and a startup entrepreneur who built a significant firm. Thanks for being a friend of our program and a part of the Critical Mass for Business community. Rick, it's always great to be with you. Look thank- forward to doing it again. Okay, Derek, thank you. Okay, thanks. Bye.
All right, ladies and gentlemen, we will take our second break here on Critical Mass Radio Show, and then the regional managing partner at Fisher & Phillips will be, yes, here in the studio. Todd Sherwin will be sitting in the chair across from me, and we got a lot to talk about. You don't want to go anywhere. We're going to be talking about California employment laws, and that is something that every one of you who are in Southern California or all of California should hear. So stay tuned. We'll be right back after these words from our commercial sponsors. <laughs> When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. If you are an Orange County CEO or a business owner, this message is for you. Do you ever feel isolated with no place to turn for advice or feedback? Who holds you accountable to your commitments in your company? Where do you find the right resources to help you and your company grow? If you have had these questions, then Critical Mass for Business might be the answer for you. Critical Mass for Business is committed to helping you make better decisions through the power of peer learning. These are groups of peers who are running businesses just like you. CEO Peer Groups provides a great sounding board to test fresh ideas and new concepts, review your strategic plans and tactical goals, and present issues and opportunities for a critical discussion. The result is improved strategy, accountability, and improved business results. If you are interested in learning more, go to www.criticalmassforbusiness.com and learn about our CEO Peer Groups. CEO Peer Groups is a registered trademark of Critical Mass for Business. UPS Protection has been protecting systems in the U.S. against brownouts, blackouts, and poor quality power for over 25 years. We provide power protection systems, including UPS, lighting inverters, generators, and service for clients from coast to coast. We specialize in solving all your power needs. As a direct reseller of the best brands in the industry, including Liebert, Powerware, and APC, we can solve all your power protection needs. Protecting your power is our main goal. We offer on-site or depot repair of our critical equipment. To better serve your budget constraints, UPS Protection also offers both reconditioned and new products. And welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franci, as promised, Todd Sherwin, regional managing partner at Fisher & Phillips, is sitting across from me here in the studio. But before we talk to him, I just want to let you know that on Wednesday, February 11th, I will be hosting our 1,000th interview radio show. And my special guest will be Wing Lamb of Wahoo's Fish Taco. This event will be held at the Center Club in Costa Mesa, and you and our listening community are definitely invited to attend. The event will start at 4.30 p.m. with registration and networking, and the radio show starts at 5.30 p.m. And if you'd like to learn more or maybe register, visit my website, criticalmass4forbusiness.com. Right on the homepage, there's a big red register here link. Click on that. It'll take you to our um, event site, event bright site, and you can register. If you attend, you'll have the opportunity to hear Wing discuss the lessons he and his executive team learned about business from the Great Recession, and you'll have a chance to network with Orange County business owners and executives. I'd like to thank our gold sponsor, Tri-Circle Financial Strategies, for their outstanding support. Visit their website, tri 
www.orangecountyfinancial.com. So don't miss this milestone in Orange County broadcasting history. Join us for the celebration on Wednesday, February 11th for our 1,000th interview show with special guest Wing Lamb of Wahoo's Fish Taco. Okay, enough about that. Todd, welcome to the studio. Good to be here, Rick. Let's talk a little bit about your firm. Tell me about Fisher & Phillips and also help us to understand why companies select your law firm over others who say they do something similar. Sure. So Fisher & Phillips, we're a full-service labor and employment law firm. So what I like to say is we do our best to keep our clients out of trouble. And then once they get into trouble, we do our best to get our clients out of trouble. So we do everything from handbooks, harassment training, prevention stuff, advice work, and then all the way through litigation, trial, appeals, whatever we need to do to, to help our clients navigate the waters at our California labor and employment law. So we're here in Southern California. The studio happens to be in Orange County. You're in the L.A. office, right? Right. Okay. Yeah, I, I spent uh, the first eight years of my career in our Irvine office, and for the last two, I've been in Los Angeles. Okay. And Tell me a little bit about the size of Fisher & Phillips. Sure. So we're a national firm. We've got about 300 lawyers across the country, and here in Southern California, we have about 50 to 55. Okay. Why is that important? Well, we want to be able to service everybody. So not only our clients here in Southern California, but our clients across the country. You know, if I have a client who's headquartered uh, here in Los Angeles or in Orange County who has employees throughout the country, I want to make sure that I've got smart, knowledgeable lawyers in those places that can help those clients out in a pinch also. Got it. So we're talking with Todd Sherwin. He is regional managing partner, and I guess that region is Los Angeles? Correct. Okay, so he's the regional managing partner for the Los Angeles division or area of Fisher and Phillips. Let's talk about you. First of all, why employment law? Yeah, the million-dollar question, right? So I, I wish I could have a, a story that said that I always knew I wanted to be an employment lawyer. I don't I could make one of those up, but sure. that that wouldn't uh, that wouldn't be me. So, you know, I I, I grew up never thinking that I was going to be anything but a professional baseball player. Okay, um, and I get the big joke I always get is, uh, so when did you when did you realize you weren't going to be a professional baseball player? And I look at my watch and say. What do you mean realize? Mm. Um, but you know when I, I I went to I went to undergrad and I realized that professional baseball was not gonna was not gonna do it for me. It wasn't gonna okay. be there. And then I took a couple classes in college that made me realize law school. And then like everyone who who starts at USC law school where I went, I wanted to be a sports agent because why not? Seems logical. Right. Um, and then it wasn't until my first my first uh, year in that summer and then my second summer where I started doing things that were labor and employment related for a judge I work for and then a firm that I work for that I realized, you know, there's counseling aspect of this, there's competitive litigation aspect of it. Uh, labor and employment law really seemed like a field that would fit my skill set in, in wanting to not only assist clients and assist companies, but also then get that competitive nature out and get to fight about it a little bit when necessary. So does that mean you also do litigate? Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, that's what we are. We are, we are litigators that, I think what differentiates us, going back to that previous question, too, is that we, we try to be there before the problems start. So okay. we, we, we litigate. That's what we do. But we also take pride in helping our clients navigate the waters to help get them out of litigation before they're actually in litigation. Yeah, you know, there's a book. It's called Navigating the Growth Curve. It's written by James Fisher, and he studied um, companies with up to 500 employees, and he studied over 600 firms over a multi-year study trying to determine kind of how companies successfully navigate those different stages of their comp of, of their growth. And he has very detailed explanation on different things about how you do that successfully. The overarching realization that his research told them is the number one determinant of complexity in a business, regardless of the industry, are the number of people's, people that you employ. <laughs> yeah, I mean, until until there's you know robots working in every job, there's going to continue to be problems, there's going to continue to be litigation, there's going to continue to be that human emotion that plays into it, and so what we want to do as a firm is not only be there when those problems arise, but to be there to make sure that if our clients know that they can spend a little bit of money and a little bit of time training, hopefully they'll keep themselves out of that hot water. Yeah, so we're talking to CEOs of middle market firms, Southern California, 2 to $100 million. Many times they have quite a number of employees, especially the larger firms that listen to the radio show. So, so let's start simply. What are the couple things that the CEO should talk to their HR department about tomorrow morning 
to make sure they're avoiding potential pitfalls as it relates to their employee relations. Yeah, so employee relations are always a, always a big issue, right? The cases the cases that are always going to be there are those harassment, discrimination, retaliation cases. So I think what HR folks and HR directors need to focus on from the beginning are policies and procedures and handbooks, making sure you have a strong handbook, making sure that your managers are trained appropriately and properly on what to do if you get a complaint, what to do if somebody requests time off, what to do if somebody complains that somebody else is bothering them. And, you know, most most HR people are busy. I mean, they're all busy. We're all busy. Right. Um, and there's just there's just a lot that needs to go into that that training and that culture and trying to figure out what we need to do to make sure that our employees know what to do if there's a problem and has an HR department uh, that knows how to handle those those sorts of issues. And you know, quite frankly, when you get past that employee relations harassment stuff, you know what I what I talk with my clients about all the time. Your strongest HR person is going to really know wage and hour law, particularly in California, because that's what's going to keep you out of trouble. Wage and hour. Give us a little bit more on wage and hour. Sure. So what I mean by wage and hour. It's exciting stuff, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, what I mean by wage and hour is the one thing that's going to most likely get you sued as a company in California are issues relating to overtime. Right. The way you pay your employees, the way you provide things like meal periods and rest periods and now, you know, a relatively new law in California, cool down periods for your employees who work outside. So you've got these you've got these issues that are so nuanced and so much minutia that even if your HR person is top notch, he or she is not gonna know all of that because I mean we do that for a living. We study these laws, we study these changes and we barely are able to keep up with it. So I, I would say that the most important thing that your your HR folks should focus on are making sure that you're compliant with your policies when it comes to things like overtime in California and meal periods and rest periods and what needs to go on your pay stubs. This stuff sounds ridiculous to talk about, but that's what's really going to get companies and continues to get companies in trouble here in California. It, it seems in this area of employment law, and I'm talking with Todd Sherwin, he is the regional managing partner at Fisher and Phillips, is that it's counterintuitive. You know, you have this employee who says, boss, I'm going to work through my break. I don't need to take a lunch. We're on deadline. I know you. I really want to win this piece of business. So just let me, just let me grind it out. And you go, oh, champ, you're the kind of. And then, oh, lo and behold, yeah, and it's it's never breaking the law. Yeah, and it's never until those folks, well, typically not until those folks get terminated or leave because that guy's never going to sue me. He, he, you know, he's like a son to me. I mean, that's the things I hear from my clients all the time. Well, one bad thing happens and they go to a, you know, go to a lawyer and say, I was wrongfully terminated. I was treated properly. And the lawyer on the other side goes, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Let me see your pay stubs. Let me see the policies. Cause that's where, that's where the real money is for the other side. Unfortunately, are these nuances that are technical violations that they don't even need to prove because they're on the face of the, of, of the policies themselves or on the pay stubs in some cases. Right. And so what I hear you saying, Todd Sherwin of Fisher and Phillips, is not only is it important to have the right manual, to understand your responsibilities, to train and coach your managers and create an environment that understands and embraces these laws and regulations, but it's also critically important that you create a culture of documenting them and being able to prove that it wasn't just words, it was deed, in fact. Yeah, I mean, it's really hard for us as lawyers or as HR professionals to prove something happened if there isn't any documentation that shows it. I, you know, I teach a, a class at Cal State Long Beach, and what I probably tell my students more than anything else who are going to be future HR directors is your word is really not going to be anything if you go to a lawyer and say, defend me in this case. If you don't have an email or if you don't have a policy written or follow-up documentation, it's it's going to be like it never happened. And, and what if a, a small company of 50 employees, whatever, not only is it one person, but then it becomes two or three people who are saying the same thing about lax rules and no break time. How does that affect the company as well? Is is there strength in numbers on, on the other side too? Well, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, one, you know, one employee is enough, you know, enough of an issue to deal with where a lot of liability stems when you've got a couple employees who join in and you've got this nasty word called a class action, okay. action brewing, and you've got these you've got these issues that, you know, may be rolling so quickly downhill that you may not be able to stop it if you haven't really jumped on it right away. So 
again, we're talking to CEOs and business owners of two to hundred million dollar companies. Um, in my CEO peer groups, once a year, I have someone come in and tell them all the things that have changed in the employment law landscape in the past year. Um, is it your experience that that they should be? How frequently should they be asking people who know? Am I still in compliance, or what major? things have happened that I need to be aware of that change my policies, procedures, and manuals? Yeah, de- I mean, definitely yearly. I mean, we have our clients who have been our clients for a long time ask us to update their handbooks yearly. Okay. So, you know, so that's y- a best practice. At mi- I mean, minimum, at a minimum yearly. Right. Yeah, minimum yearly. If you're, if you're waiting for more than a year to have your handbook reviewed, then you're likely going to miss the boat on, in California, especially. I mean, we, you know, we have laws that change in the middle, the middle of the year sometimes. So you should find out about those the year previous, but you need to make sure that when the middle of the year comes rolling around and July 1st this year is going to be a big one that comes, uh, you got to make sure that your policies and practices are up to speed with that sort of stuff. Okay, we're talking with Todd Sherwin, and we're going to take our final commercial break here on Critical Mass Radio Show. And don't go anywhere, because we're going to talk about what has changed recently. So you may be sitting out there thinking, hey, I got it. I got this dialed in, and I hope you do. Honestly, I do. But just in case, let's spend a few minutes after the break and look at the new things that have happened in employment law in California after these words from our sponsors. Van. Hey, did you know that over 73% of consumer packaged goods and retail products fail miserably within their first year? Why? Because they find themselves in the pit of unawareness. You don't want to go there. Call me, and I'll make sure that your packaging gets noticed. You know how I know? Because I'm the founder and creative director of MBN Design. We're one of Orange County's most established and trusted design firms. With over 20 years of experience, I can ensure that your brand will always stay new. Ask me how our packaging sold millions in months, or see for yourself other success stories on our website at www.mbndesign.com. We're MBN because we're making brands new. Call 714-458-8701 and talk to me, Hector Garcia. That's myself. 714-458-8701. I'll be waiting for your call. Richard Franzi is the author of two popular business books for CEOs. His first book, Critical Mass, The Ten Explosive Powers of CEO Peer Groups, was the first book ever written on the secret value of CEO peer groups. His second book, now with newly updated information, is Critical Mass, The Power of CEO Guiding Principles. Richard's books contain powerful information to help CEOs running middle market companies gain valuable insight to improve their decision-making skills. Richard's books are available as paperbacks or Kindle versions from Amazon.com. To find them, type Richard Franzi in the search box. Successfully navigating the changing world of public relations and digital marketing requires an experienced, tenacious, yet gracious team. In business for more than 20 years, Orange County-based and Company delivers big agency results with personalized service. For more information, call us at 714-536-8407 or visit us online at tnco.me. And welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. If you're listening to us live, ooh, are we doing a good show for you today. Todd Sherwin is our guest. And if you're listening as a podcast, you know it's a good show, and you can go back and forth and pick up things and tell people about it. We appreciate that. You could find us on iTunes if you're listening live and you're not currently getting us a podcast. Stitcher, Spreaker, hundreds of business websites where we've had their CEO or principal on our show, and they put his or her interview on their website. Many different podcasting partners. We get about 16,000 downloads each month of the various shows that we do. would love to have you become a part of our community and regularly listen because the kind of content we're developing here is exactly for CEOs who lead middle market firms. Todd Sherwin is regional managing partner with Fisher & Phillips. And before the break, Todd, I said we're going to ask you just to kind of highlight some of the recent changes in California law. 
Yeah, by by far the biggest is the law that's going to take effect July 1st of this year, which is the paid sick leave law. So now every every employee in California, regardless of the size of the company, is going to be entitled to accrue or be given paid sick leave. So it's not a matter of, well, I only have five employees who have to do this, or I only have 50 employees who have to do this. Every employer in California is going to have to provide not just sick leave, but paid sick leave. How much? Well, so that's that's what we don't have enough time to talk about that really. Oh, but the so, subtleties yeah, of employment law. But there's, yeah, there's, <laughs> it's going to be the, the easy way to think about it is three days of paid sick leave, or they have to be able to accrue it at the rate of one hour of paid sick leave for every thirty hours work. So okay. ridiculously nuanced should be a lot simpler than it is, and for something as basic as that, the amount of hours we've spent as a law firm and as lawyers speaking to clients about it is is exhausting because the law is not nearly as easy as it should have been. What was it before? I mean, who was entitled to paid sick leave before? In in California, nobody. Okay. Yeah. I mean, wow. there are certain, certain jurisdictions, San Francisco's had a paid sick leave law for a while, but in the state of California, if a company wanted to give sick leave, they could, but now every company, regardless of size, has to provide it. Okay. So this is totally off script, but how does a law... I don't have a position on this. I'm just listening to learn and asking the question. How does a law like this get started and get enacted then? Who's who's the energy behind it? Yeah, so you've got you've got people in the state assembly, um, you know, probably folks, um, I can't remember exactly who started yeah, championing this anyway, one. I'm yeah. not going to say that anyway, but <laughs> you know, folks who who were responsible for pushing these things in certain cities like San Francisco okay. go, you know what, this is a great idea. We should provide it for a state. And it it probably is. I mean, I hope I don't get in trouble with my clients here, but it it's not a bad idea to have paid sick leave. It's just really difficult to be enforcing it and trying to implement it that the way the state is is forcing employers to do it. Todd Sherwin is our guest. He's regional managing partner for Fisher and Phillips. And so, from a, from my perspective, working with CEOs of middle market firms, some many times it is the implementation and the rules and the regulations that are more concerning and cause more consternation than the fact of the law, which I think you just made a point on. Right? I mean, at some level. They're good people. They want to take care of their employees. They understand that they should do something like this. Many maybe already do it anyway because they just wanted to do it. But now, not only doing the right thing, now they have to make sure they're not doing it the wrong way. Yeah, because if you, there are companies out there, plenty of companies out there who have a policy that says – we are going to accrue five days of paid sick leave a year or five days of paid time off a year. And that's more than three. We all know that five is more than three. But the problem is if you if that's your policy, that policy now, even though five is more than three, is not going to be compliant with the uh-huh. law because of the nuances in the law. And this, these are the kind of things that I think cause people to just get angry with all of it. Right, it, it just—I'm just shutting down. I'm going to leave California, or this is just madness, and and now it costs me more money. It costs me money in my time because I don't understand it, and I have to learn how to understand it just to protect myself. And many times there are agencies that become aggressive in instituting these regulations for no other reason than they seem to be convoluted and confusing. Right, and there's money. There's money to be made. Not to sound, not to sound <laughs> like I'm ripping on the other side, but there's easy money to be made by some lawyers on the other side. And so, even if you have a company that provides three paid sick leave days, and you're trying to follow the law because the law also requires you to put that on a document like a pay stub, so you can do everything right in the law, but you don't put that on the pay stub. That's where. There will be lawsuits and litigation the next year or two because that's what people will be suing about because it's going to be a technical violation of the law. Right. So do you ever find, and I'm talking with Todd Sherwin, he's regional managing partner at Fisher and Phillips, that your clients who love you normally get mad at you when you bring them this kind of stuff to deal with? Yeah, I, I always try to say I don't, you know, I didn't, I didn't write it. I'm just trying to help you interpret it. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 constant frustration to have to deal with, and you know, try to have a sense of humor about it, and try to lead them through those waters and give them not only what the law says, but the real practical advice. Here, forget what the law says. This is what the law says. But let me tell you the best way to implement this. Right, and the onus is really on you guys to, in your firm to really understand these changes. 
Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, you got to interpret this for people well, and be right. Well, and we've been getting questions about this law since it passed, for example. It doesn't really take effect till July 1st. And so people ask us these questions, and we do our best to interpret and give and give answers about it. But at the end of the day, we say, well, here's our best interpretation of it. Here's what we think. But we certainly can't be for sure because nobody's fought over it yet. Right. There's no precedent That's or whatever right. the right term is. That's right. Plus, sometimes laws do laws get passed and the formal regulations on how it's going to be implemented aren't fully fleshed out yet? That's, well, it's exactly right. And this is going to be a prime example because there are very... There are a lot of holes in this law that until maybe the Department of Labor Standards Enforcement in California or somebody else interprets it and issues some sort of clarification, we may just be left guessing. Right. And somebody may be the lucky person who helps to actually finish out the regulations that's by right. example. That's huh? right. Unfortunately. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. I don't mean to laugh at that. That's a very serious issue. Anything else that our business owners should know about? Yeah. I mean, that's I mean, that's the big one that everyone's spending a lot of time on. I mean, a real another one that passed is that in California for companies that have 50 or more employees, you have to have sexual harassment training. That's been around for a while. Now there's a new anti-bullying component that Whoa. has to be added to this sexual harassment discrimination prevention training. Wow. That just sounds really difficult to figure out what is and what isn't. That well and that's and right now there is no law in California that says bullying is illegal. There's no anti bullying law. I mean we can see that's on the horizon with this new law passing saying you need to train your managers on it. So I mean we use this as an opportunity to talk to our clients about what's on the horizon. So today you have to train your managers on what this conduct, this abusive bullying conduct is. You better be ready for tomorrow or a couple years from now where this is actually going to be illegal. And once it's illegal, I mean, the law, the litigation is just going to skyrocket. Well, you know, we don't have time to really dig into this, and I, I kind of wish we did because I, when, as you're talking, I'm thinking, well, what about social media? Because a lot of bullying happens for teens, etc. on social media. Is this law going to encompass employees, social media? I mean, where does this... How how far-reaching could this be? I mean, it, it will. It will encompass social media because the litigation and the laws that are out there dealing with what constitutes protected activity already includes social media. So bullying and harassment will definitely include social media. You'll have to come back. I'll, I'll, I'll be here. All right. So, Todd Sherwin, if someone wants to learn more about Fisher & Phillips because they thought, you know, I thought it was okay, but now I'm uncomfortable, how do they find your brand online? Yeah. So, we, we are www.laborlawyers.com. We are smart enough to steal that website however many years ago we got it. And then my email address is T and my, my last name, S-C-H-E-R-W-I-N, at laborlawyers.com. Thank you for sharing a little bit about what you know. The more you know that you share, the more worried I get. So yeah. I'm glad we just got that amount. Good. I'm glad. Okay. We're done for the day, ladies and gentlemen. You can relax now and exhale. But I want to thank you for listening to Critical Mass Radio Show. You know, the goal is to help you, our listening audience of CEOs who are running middle market firms, to improve your decision-making skills by being more informed. And I think today certainly helped you do that. This show is brought to you by our advertisers, Center Club, Community Bank, Decision Toolbox, Executives Unlimited, MBN Design, SNH Rubber, Strategic Market Intelligence, SunUp Group, T and Company, Tone Software, Turn Up the Volume, and UPS Protection. I'd like to invite you to attend our thousandth interview with special guest Wing Lamb. Go to our website. You'll be able to see information on our advertisers and sponsors for the program, as well as information on the radio show that we're doing live next week. If you want to follow me on uh, LinkedIn, I'm Rick. Franzi, my CEO, my Twitter handle is CEO Peer Groups, and in your podcasting software, type in these four words: Critical Mass Radio Show, and you'll get our regular updates. Until our next show, I hope all of your business decisions will move your company in a positive direction. You have been listening to Critical Mass Radio Show Business Talk Show, focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies, with your host Richard Franzi. 